Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Back in 1991, musician Phil Keggy released an album called Beyond Nature. For an artist who was best known for being a rock guitar virtuoso since the mid-60s, especially with his band Glass Harp and his work as a solo artist, this quiet acoustic collection of 12 songs to many fans was like someone had tripped over the power cord to Keggy's stack of amplifiers. But in its reliance on beauty and cultivated melody, Beyond Nature is a record that I keep coming back to more than any other in the guitarist's vast catalog. Phil took time with us, these over 25 years later, to reflect and remember how the album came about. And also in the room is our mutual friend, John J. Thompson, whom you'll hear chiming in from time to time. Most instrumentals, in my mind, even the best ones, feel like a collection of songs born independent from each other, some inspired, others written at the last minute to fill out an album. But Beyond Nature, in my opinion, feels like a handful of old, strong branches emanating from the same tree, at times intertwined with each other, for the sake of mutual strength. Was that intentional on your part, or am I totally dreaming? Thank you, Tim, for having me on this podcast. Uh, I think what it was, was uh, I I didn't have those kind of intentions. I didn't see it quite as that. Mm -hmm. I think what it was, was uh, I just moved to Nashville from California. And the first project that I did upon moving here, and I was writing songs for this album called Find Me in These Fields, which was a a word, Murr album. at this point kind of going I'm not sure this is really expressing my heart these albums you know really yeah you know Sunday's Child just didn't satisfy it was too worldly for the religious it was too Christian for the worldly or whatever you know I remember talking to people who had real influence about you know the purpose of albums and where they go and what their intention should be and uh, it just seemed like Sunday's Child was a bunch of guys who loved Vox amplifiers and old vintage guitars, and we decided to go in and do something just fun. Right. It's yeah. really more of a kick, mm-hmm. although there were some significant things like Mark Hurd's uh, participation in that album, Randy Stonehill, Rest Half. I mean, it was a great gang of people on that album. But the album just, you know, it just fell flat, and for some reason, some people weren't fulfilled with it and as a result I didn't feel fulfilled but what was fulfilling me was playing my acoustic guitar and learning how to do alternate tunings and 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 making music that expresses beauty I started enjoying walking the trails of the parks here not far from where we live uh, the Warner parks and I also at the time was reading a lot about C.S. Lewis and his books and uh, biographies and I was also listening to a lot of just English classical music from the early 1900s. And um, I, I was just getting filled up. I was listening to Edvard Grieg and 
and um, Irish music and stuff like that. And, and this music was just born in me. So I came downstairs. I had a a reel-to-reel eight-track recorder at the time, and I was beginning to put down my ideas. So I, I was signed to the label. I said, I feel like going this this direction. You know, it's interesting because after Beyond Nature was finished and released and came out and all that, my A&R guy and producer got me back into the studio with a rock band, you know, uh-huh. so and ended up doing Crimson and Blue. So sandwiched between, you know, Sunday's Child, Find Me in These Fields, came this uh, album, Beyond Nature, which was a, a reprieve of rest, quietness, and sweetness, you know, and beauty. just a very pure sounding record thanks to JB my co-producer and engineer who God rest his soul you know he was a very significant factor in how that album shaped up and turned out and then after Beyond Nature Crimson and Blue gone in with a you know a kicking band a rock band and That's all I have to say. It's fun, fun music to make. Real edgy stuff, you know. But again, these albums, those particular rock albums, sold pretty poorly, you know, and they weren't very significant. But I felt in the long run, my Beyond Nature had significance. And you could feel it then. Oh, I could feel it then, and I feel it today. You know, it's a very special album to me. In fact, recently I've been recording pieces that are reminiscent of that, finding new alternate tunings, and, and I'm also making a new album with Jeff Johnson. It's not edgy. It's not going to uh, change anybody's life. It's <laughs> not going to be uh, significant, uh, except for the fact that uh, it's a collection of songs that speak something special. To the heart, and I think in a time where there's so much chaos in the world, I think uh, music like this is is welcomed by a number of people. And uh-huh. there's the also the hymn. So there's two mm-hmm. songs that you did not write, but you incorporated. How did you come to the decision that they fit alongside the other songs you had written? Well, the song that is called I Feel the Winds of God Today is an actual hymn. And using the melody of 
the star of the County Down, which is an Irish, and you know Von Williams, uh, Ray Von Williams, he used that also in I think it was Dives and Lazarus, right? Is that how you call it? I just love the melody very much, and I came up with my own arrangement and uh, added a little little electric guitar at the very end, kind of a ghost-like flashback to Master and the Musician. Deep calls into deep, you know. Edvard Grieg piece uh, is from the Symphonic Dances, and uh, I just loved those recordings and the orchestral recordings. And I figured out the chords, and I, I recorded it with three guitars. I think there was two acoustics and a classical. One of those pieces I can't play alone because it really requires at least two people to do it well. And I think what's happening now is uh, my ears are so open to the music of other cultures over this time. Like the new music I'm doing with Jeff Johnson, for instance, uh, has touches of Spain, touches of Turkey, touches of Japan, India, South America. I find that really, really interesting. Are you a fan of Rodrigo? Because mm-hmm. okay. my two favorite instrumental records are Beyond Nature and his concert. Duran Yes. Yeah. I used to read J.R. Tolkien and other fantasy uh-huh. novels, why those things were playing in the background, because it seemed like it sounded like oh, yeah. it was playing through the woods or. Beautiful stuff. Or stopping at the local tavern. I listened through the 70s to a lot of classical guitar and English folk music like John Renborn. And then when Michael Hedges came out in the 80s, uh, he was truly one of a kind. A lot of guitar players copy him, but there's something you feel through his playing that isn't, you know, when someone plays a Michael Hedges-ish mm-hmm. song, it doesn't feel like that. Right. You know, that's that's he was so original. He really had an effect on me. But other people took what he did and kept going. And they absorbed what his influence was. And they they just, in a sense, perfected that style. Andy McKee and people like that, you know. With me, I want to try this, and then I want to try that. And I want to taste this style of music. And I want to... I mean, I'm an electric guitar player, you know, as well. And uh, I just like a, a great deal of variety. And I still enjoy the influences of the 60s in my life. You know, Michael Bloomfield and Jeff Beck and and, and that has a tendency to, to show up. Like I said earlier, I'm, I'm more of a utility musician that had some good breaks <laughs> along the way. Okay. Explain to the uninitiated, like, how you wrote these songs. Okay. Well, I think the thing that, for instance, if I grab my guitar real quick, and I'll give you an example. I love melody. And um, 
Mm. I'm also a lover of nostalgia, you know, in terms of like music from the old days. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I did an album back in 2005, yeah, 2005, called Phantasmagorical. It's got some nice <laughs> moments, you know, it's one of those hidden things, you know, an Easter egg hunt and it's really buried deep into the ground, you know, but <laughs> it really is. But, you know, like a... Like on Addison's Walk. You know, it's got... You know, it has a sense of old... Yeah, you know, like a Mongo Jerry, you know. And yet it's, you know, it comes off... And then I go... That's, it, it, it harkens to something um, uh, like you know, old-fashioned, you mm -hmm. know, and I like that. You know, it, it's got little clever lines in it, and yet it's uh, it it just moves sweetly, you know. And so I think you know, Addison's Walk was significant because. Uh, it was an Addison's walk that C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and Hugo Dyson had a conversation about myth mm -hmm. and the dying god and uh, all that sort of stuff, and that left a real impression on uh, C.S. Lewis. I have another piece on there called Fragile Forest. From a tuning I had come up with in 1969, and then in 1973 I recorded my What a Day album, that first mm -hmm. little album. Yes. And uh, and there's a song in there called I Will Sing, and uh, remember how it's you know same tuning. Then in 1990, uh, all those years later, I created Fragile Forest, which is a bit more complex. Seems like I've heard of the musicians say like they thought they'd done everything they could possibly do, and then someone shows them an alternate tuning, and all of a sudden they have like three or four more albums come out. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, in 1984, I recorded a song, wrote a song called "Like an Island." It goes started off. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> and so when I moved here in 1990, and this is all around the time before Beyond Nature was recorded. I visited Jimmy Abeg, uh, and uh, he had a guitar, us, us, you know, just up against the wall. I was going to pick it up and play this riff, but he had it in Dadgad, and I, I had had drop D before, both E's dropped to E, uh, D, you know, on like the reunion on the Wind and the Weed album, uh, but he had it tuned there, so Dadgad. That's where he had it. And so I picked up his guitar and just did that riff from Like an Island. Ah. You know, I go, whoa. <laughs> 
so I went home and I wrote what I called County Down, which uh-huh. I, I shouldn't have called it that, but that's what I ended up calling it because uh-huh. there was another County Down. hasn't woken up this morning yet. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the alternate tunings, and yeah, there were a few other ones, um, Fairly Well, which I play in concert mm-hmm. fairly often, which was kind of inspired, kind of like Ravel and Debussy-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the alternate tunings, like you said, Tim, they, they do kind of inspire, uh, do something. Hello, sweetie. Hi, hey, how are you? I'll get this. Okay, Precious. Great. She's a great gal. I love her so much. It's your wife? Mm-hmm. Okay, it works out that you like your wife. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're going on our 45th wedding anniversary this summer. Going to give it about five more years and mm-hmm. see what happens. Yeah, there she is. Oh, wow. And this is back, that picture, mm-hmm. uh, when she was 16. Oh, right here in the big picture, yeah. And a good friend took that photo of her back, back in 91 or 92. Oh. She in Colorado oh. sometime. Oh, that's my sister. She was an actress. Oh, really? That that Rex Allen and Mary Ellen Kay. She yeah. she led me to the Lord, by the way. She led me to the Lord in 1970 after our mom's uh, death from a car accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, just beautiful person. And she had a fall and had brain injury from the fall last spring, and she passed at the age of 87. Oh, I'm sorry. She was one of my most significant encouragers mm-hmm. in my life, spiritually. You're right. In fact, she was on TV the other night because she had a, a couple lines in the Ten Commandments. You know when they found baby Moses in, uh-huh. the, in the basket? It was a Pharaoh's daughter. Went out waiting and she goes, I think I found something here. There's something out here. She's the one that says, Well, be sure it's not a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> what will you wish for, Tuya? Gold or a man? Gold, of course. But I can have any man. <laughs> Gold will never fill an empty heart. What, you chattering geese? Oh, man, that you're only happy when you're miserable. You fools. Talk of empty hearts before the Pharaoh's daughter. What is there in her heart but the memory of a dead husband? We meant no harm, Memphis. Look, there's something here. Be sure it's not a crocodile. And she also said gold will never mend a broken heart, you know. So there was a, an album, I did it for, a, I think, a McPherson sampler album, McPherson Guitars, mm-hmm. you know. 
So I ended up going on just one of those albums put out by Word called In the Quiet Hours. It was just, you could say the album was kind of music for guitar players, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there were some beautiful moments, and, and there was another, there was a song in there that had an alternate tuning, and it's called As It Is In Heaven, and this is the tuning. And it's, it has a very beyond nature feel to it, you know. And it starts off. But anyway, that's one of those pieces that came, oh, around 2000, nine years after Beyond Nature. And then I had a piece just recently that I created that is reminiscent of Beyond Nature kind of music. And I like coming back to that, you know, because it is, like I said, uh, a very significant time. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Don Hart, we contacted Don Hart and he did string arrangements and woodwind arrangements. And the opening track is uh, In the Light of Common Day, which is an expression Lewis used, mm -hmm. which is why I called it that for some reason. I was absorbed in that at the time. And uh, uh, I think there ended up being percussion on it. You know, like on County Down, uh, I was really blessed to have John Catchings on cello and Stuart Duncan on fiddle. Stuart Duncan is one of the most amazing violin and fiddle players. He's been in the studio many times. My friend Paul Clark did an album last year called Branch, Branching Roots and he had Byron House and Matt Pearson on bass 
and Stuart Duncan on fiddle on almost every song. And he sat right in that little little booth in there. Paul's been a, a dear friend since 1973 when I, I met him while I was playing guitar for a love song. Mm -hmm. For about three months I was touring touring with him. And he was opening up for us. And so uh, Stuart Duncan, wish it could have been more of him on the album, but that was really special. When they came in, was were they told what to play or did they kind of have a... Yeah, there, there were... Uh, charts. Mm -hmm. Unlike Master and Musician, I sang the parts to the flute players and the recorder players, you know. Uh -huh. You know, that was a real freeform <laughs> album. I got away from New York and ended up in Schaumburg, Illinois, and Gary Hedden studio called Hedden West, and I ended up recording the album there, and that's where the freedom really came out. Mm -hmm. This stuff was inside me. Right. This music was inside me, and it wouldn't have happened had I recorded it in Ithaca or Freeville or close to home at that point, that album I don't think would have come out at all that way. Sometimes you have to escape a little bit to really get it right. With Beyond Nature, every title has significance. And so you mentioned Addison's Walk and why should every Christian know the significance of Addison's Walk? Well, uh, I think C.S. Lewis was one of the great defenders of the faith and, uh, and Christian apologists. And not that Christianity needs an apology. Right. People think that if, if you're an apologist, you're, you're saying you're sorry. He's not, <laughs> he's not doing that. He's, yeah. he's declaring, he's uh, making a proclamation mm -hmm. that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Son of God. And, and so... Addison's walk is where he really came to, to terms with the fact that Jesus came from heaven. Now he had been an atheist at that time. And, and then turned agnostic from what I understand. And uh, God got a hold of him. I think he was in a sidecar in his brother's uh, motorcycle. And on his way to Whipsnade Zoo, I think it's called. By the time he got to the zoo, he realized that Jesus was the Son of God. And wow. eternally admitted it. And not long after that came you know, screw tape letters and uh, Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity and all those great books. I've made a good friend uh, with an artist named Tim Hutchinson. I love his songwriting and his voice. And he came here recently by a mutual friend of ours, Daniel Ornelas, mm -hmm. South African fellow, and, and Tim's from South Africa. And now he's uh, in England. He's actually become becoming a Trappist monk. But he's a great songwriter and he came here and but he visited Walter Hooper recently and was talking about me right. and uh, how I had I was inspired by C.S. Lewis in a great way and uh, and I actually recorded way back in '76 as uh, a song called um, "As the Ruin Falls," which is a, a poem of C.S. Lewis. on to the vocal there. For this I bless you as the ruin falls. The pains you give me are more precious than all other gifts. And so Walter Hooper was talking about one of Lewis's poems and thought that it would be nice if I could put it to music. Really? So I'm going to be researching and seeing if I can find it. I wanted to read the quote from which 
the, the title Beyond Nature comes from, and I want to get your reaction okay. to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's from C.S. Lewis, of course. Nature is only the first sketch, for you must not think that I'm putting forward any heathen fancy of being absorbed into nature. Mm -hmm. Nature is mortal, we shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is the symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature, beyond her, into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. And in there, and beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life. Yeah, I found that, I think, out of this Mere Christianity book, I believe, and I thought that really spoke, and I wanted that to be in the album jacket, you know. Mm. Really is powerful, very, uh, con uh, what do you call it, concise and right to the point. Every word holds a lot of meaning. You know, there's a lot of people that feel that, you know, we were put on this earth to serve Mother Earth. I'm not knocking them. Right. It's important, like the Lord assigned Adam and Eve to tend the garden, right? But like he says, we shall live. He's given the earth to us. We were created in his image, not the earth. And so I think he's... He's speaking of the significance of the eternal soul. Like he said, we were created for another world. And like you indicated, it would be heresy to some people that, that maybe, well, I don't say worship nature, but they, they feel it's a whole lot more important than human beings. In fact, I know some that would wish we would off ourselves. So, you know, mm -hmm. nature would proceed uninhibited in their minds. Of course, they've never probably tended a, a forest. Yeah. Do you ever have that conversation with others? I do, I do, and, and, and uh, I've got many friends on both sides of the fence, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I really feel that it's sad, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution gave us a lot of comforts and a lot of blessings in some ways, but yet it also created a lot of filth and a lot of debris and a lot of waste and a lot of poison, toxins, mm -hmm. just the industry of plastics, you know, alone, oh my gosh. You know, and unbiodegradable substances that are hurting nature and the animals and the sea life and everything. That's worth talking about for sure. It's not stewardship if we're right, right. Tra so I, I believe they are right in many respects, and I also believe that uh, the scripture is right too. That the Lord will recreate. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, you know, unspoiled and untainted, untarnished, and that's something we have to look forward to. I, I think it's a fatalistic view to think that this is all there is and nothing beyond. And I think that's why the beyond nature is very significant, that there is something beyond. And uh, even our own bodies age and decay, and yet we will be renewed completely because of the, the wonderness, the wonderfulness, and the uh, creativity of God who has created us to enjoy him forever. That's why I think uh, C.S. Lewis was such an optimist. And I think that optimism reached into my soul and my, f my heart and fingers wanted to express something. And it's not like, hey, I, I, I've got a niche here. I've got a, I got a handle on this. I've got, a, I've got the password. It's nothing like that. It's, it's something that I was just as one human being who uh, has his limitations, uh, was influenced and inspired by many of the people before me as artists and uh, composers, as well as a writer like C.S. Lewis, and then the nature of our woods not far from here. 
All those things put together with the technological skills of JB, a great engineer, and a record company that was willing to put it out, right. even though they didn't quite know what to do with it, sure. which has been the case. 220 is another example. I just never quite fit in. But the thing is, I'm as happy, probably happier as an independent artist, indie artist, than I was when I was signed because I know I just wasn't able to write the songs they were wanting to sell. I, I just didn't have that in me. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that. But I knew how to play guitar, but then labels don't know what to do with guitar players unless you're you Jeff do. Beck and they know what to do with it. You right. know? Beyond Nature is kind of hard to dance to. No, think about it. You can't dance to it. You can go to sleep. You can even <laughs> yeah. give birth to it. There are people who have told me they've, they've well. played Beyond Nature while they're having their baby. You know? that's, that's his, our case. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Our oldest son, when he was born, we had Beyond Nature playing. He was born in 93. And we have, this was before, uh, you know, we didn't have videos of childbirth uh. at that point. You know, some people now. Live stream. We actually have an audio cassette, though. We had a stereo playing Beyond Nature, and then we had a cassette recorder recording the audio oh. of him being born. You can hear <laughs> his first cries, mm -hmm. and you can hear Beyond Nature playing in the background. And then oh. you hear his first, his first little cries and stuff. And and I think our second son, I think we also had it playing when our second son was born. We have four kids, so it's we have music was going to be playing when all and music was playing when all four. In fact, I think um, Michelle just texted me, and I think um, mm. she had long labors, so there was lots of music for her sake. Uh -huh. A lot of this was really for Michelle's sake to kind of help her relax I see but it was also like I want to think about what the first thing these humans hear when they come into this <laughs> world is so the first thing Jordan heard when he came into this world was beyond nature <laughs> which is an old glass harp riff Someone sent me a review of Beyond Nature that came from Cleveland, like the Scene magazine or Plain Dealer, one of those. And someone was knocking the fact that I, you know, I put that riff from the song, that glass harp song. And so they were kind of putting me down for using my own, uh, my own riff. You should have stole from somebody else, I guess. Yeah, that's right. It's not, not good to steal from yourself. Then someone had told me that, and so what I did was, after that, I wrote a song called The Quote Jester, instead of The Court Jester, uh -huh. and I call myself The Quote Jester. You know? Uh -huh. And there was a little bit... You know, and I put that in there, you know. And so every now and then I'll play something. There's a, an album I did for the McPherson Company called... Uh, I quoted that lick from Your Love Broke Through, you know. I, I love doing that because, you know, lines are significant in people. They, they resonate in people's heart and they stir memory, you know. Sometimes when someone... If I just go... 
that little it'll take them back to a place in their life in 1982 or something right. and well, it's just like anything, you know. You know, when I hear this, you know, from the Beatles, I, I see myself walking on the beach over somebody's blanket when I was 14, 13 or something. I see, you know, it takes you back. And music is significant like that. So maybe when I did Beyond Nature, at, at some point, I felt that I needed some rest, you know. It's traumatic moving from one state to another, especially across the country. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for that solace in the quietness of an acoustic guitar and melody and stuff like that. Do you feel like you were able to say more by saying nothing? Absolutely. I think Master Musician is the best album I did in the 70s. It's, it's truly me. And I have a voice that I think is uh, actually more accepted with my guitar playing than my actual singing voice which has got its limitations. You mentioned frustrated or not happy with Sonny's Child and finding these fields. Was it because you couldn't say everything you wanted to say? or? Oh, no, I was having a good time making those albums. Okay. I, I had a riot, actually. I, I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. You say tomorrow, tonight is better for me You say the time is right, it's better to The disappointment came when the people that say this is what goes on the radio said, uh, "Oh, we're quite disappointed in your in you, Phil, thank for, you. Ma- <laughs> for making that for making really? that album." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those you are... know, people that are the the guys that tell the stations across the country sure. what to play. Uh, although I got to say, KYMS in Southern California, they played the entire album. And Bern and I were out visiting friends in our our Dodge Caravan. <laughs> Tell Me How You Feel comes on, the opening track, and they said, we're going to play the entire Sunday's Child album for you tonight. This is back before people really started to control what was being played. And I was really surprised that a, a Southern California station actually played every track. And then over on the other side of the country, they were really kind of poo-pooing it, you know, saying it wasn't spiritual enough or it wasn't uh, radio enough or something. And then I did an album a couple of years ago called All at Once that, you know, was quite influenced by uh, good friends like Holly Ben Yuski and Tommy Coombs. And they wanted to see me do this vocal album with collaboration, good, solid songs. Here in the struggle, didn't know what to do with that either. It was turned down by uh, distributors and record companies. After it was done and produced and mastered with an album cover and everything, you know, just, no, it doesn't fit our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So the wheelhouse thing is something that kind of puzzles me, but I keep on doing it. I keep creating uh, regardless, and uh, I just know where I fit, right. so I don't try to fit anymore. But it does kind of sting it's- a little bit. But it's also liberating, too. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm making music that uh, if I was directed by a, a manager or a record company and they say, well, you know, this is what sells. Mm-hmm. And then if I even tried it, I still wouldn't succeed too much because 
it wouldn't be authentic. I remember the True Believer album was a really strange thing for me because, you know, I was told that you, you just you know, aren't writing songs, you know, you're not writing good songs, so we brought in a producer who writes songs. And there's a few gems on that album, but I don't listen to it. I think that was my last good selling record. But, but that's because I really definitely wanted to please my record company. That was 94, and I think that's pretty much when things began to decline from that point on. Every action we make affects us for the rest of our lives to some degree. Uh -huh. How has making Beyond Nature changed your life or set it on a different course or swayed you a little bit? I don't know. I think it's kind of like the album, there's not a lot of exceptional playing. It's just the mood of it, I think, is what's special about it. That's a special melody. And that's the thing we're going to remember, is the melody. Yeah. So it's not ex when you say it's not exceptional, you mean it might not be virtual, virtuistic. Like yeah, it's not, yeah. It, somebody's not stopping the presses because somebody did something that never been heard before in terms of that melody had never been heard before and mm. we're never going to forget it. So that's what right. he's talking about. Yeah. Just, I don't know if you listen to you too much, but you know, the edge, yeah, he doesn't do a lot of wailing or, you know, shredding, but, but he changed the world with his guitar. Yeah. Playing. And every note is chosen. And that's mm -hmm. to me a special, I mean, that's, it's worth more to me because I remember it. So. Yeah. It's a significant stepping stone along the way. I mean, it's it's one of the it's one of the steps that you know isn't going to give in on you. And I've done a lot of albums, you know, a lot of very insignificant albums too. You know, like a Roundabout was an album collection of a bunch of sound check loops, uh -huh. and, you know. But I found it interesting, and it's great to bicycle too. Um, <laughs> uh, acoustic sketches, you know, I hear that on Pandora. Burned it plays Pandora, like the Martin Simpson station. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those songs from the Acoustic Sketches album comes up. And so do you feel that Beyond Nature kind of gave you permission to go back to the acoustic thing because Beyond Nature had so much love? Like it, That to me seems mm -hmm. like something that changed. You had done a couple of little acoustic, and but Mastering the Musician wasn't really acoustic driven. Mm -mm. It seemed to me like once once Beyond Nature came out, it always was a touchstone you could go back to periodically. Mm -hmm. And that became something that you could revisit and you still can go back and revisit yeah yeah john and i think also gave me the assurance and put in my catalog or my 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 set list that i can always lean on that beyond nature it encouraged me to go into the world where i, I created songs like legacy nelly's tune uh shades of green you know which is a, a fun concert song for me to do and it, it gave me a little bit more substance from which to choose from in my own acoustic concerts. It was a, a landmark album for me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Hey, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, okay. yeah. If you want to check out Phil Keggy's discography and or current going-ons, simply go to philkeggy.com. 
And I really want to thank John J. Thompson for his help in getting this particular podcast put together. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Spun Counter Guy. You can send us an email via SpunCounterGuy at Hotmail.com on iTunes and Podbean.com. Peace and chicken grease! Thank you.